This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Well, earlier in the program, we talked LNG, the back and forth between the Premier and Andrew Weaver. That's going to continue. But while that's been happening, as you know, we've also been watching the candidates in the B.C. Liberal leadership race. The final debate has been held and we will have a new leader soon. Well, Richard Zussman is a reporter now at Global BC. He is based in Victoria. He now joins us. Richard, so great to have you on the show. Oh, good morning, Jill. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> very, very good. Uh, you have been watching and following along, uh, well, all things politics, uh, but we'll focus a bit on the BC Liberal leadership race. Uh, is it getting much attention, uh, aside from people who are, are diehard Liberals and really have a candidate that they are pushing? No, I don't think so. There's been some media attention over the last little bit, but it's not something you hear people chatting about at coffee shops or wandering down the street. It's one of those things where the last time the Liberals had their leadership race, it was for the job of Premier, and it was one that Christy Clark won. She walked uh, right out of that studio you're sitting in and became the Premier of British Columbia, uh, and it was a much different race because that was the one to replace Gordon Campbell. Now, six years later, we're looking at a race... uh, or seven years later, when um, the winner is going to sit in opposition. And although the government, the NDP Green Deal, could be tenuous, you mentioned the LNG thing and all of that, but it is a job that this leader could end up being in opposition for three years. So it's not as significant as it was last time, but it still is a, a big job. There are only a handful of, uh, of British a handful of British Columbians who could end up being premier at some point in the next few years, and that liberal leader is one of them. So obviously it's very important, but so far I think the people that are paying the most attention and should be are the ones that are actually liberal members, about 60,000 of them. They're the ones that get to vote. They're the ones that get to choose the leader. And for them it's significant because for the rest of the public, uh, they don't actually get a choice in who this leader is going to be. And when we talk about uh, the members, uh, memberships, uh, membership, I believe, is down if we look at previous years. But there's yeah. always the issue of what candidate has been able to sign up new members and uh, get the support and bolster support that way. Yeah, I, I looked at a list this week that was uh, provided to me by somebody who was working on Mike DeYoung's campaign. Uh, he had the new uh, leader, the membership numbers. And so there were about 30,000 members across the province before the race started. Now there's about 60,000. And the way the, the vote system works is that every riding in the province, all 87 of them, are based on a point system. So all the ridings are equal. But what he was showing me was that the new membership signups were heavily concentrated in a handful of ridings. And why that's significant is because, you know, there may be a few thousand members in a certain riding in Surrey, uh, and there may be a few hundred in a riding on Vancouver Island or in the northern part of the province. Those ridings are worth the same. So your vote, if you live in a riding like mine in Victoria, is actually worth much more than a vote in a riding like Surrey. So it's it's interesting to see you signed up a lot of members, and the sense we get is that Michael Lee's campaign, they have said uh, that they've signed up the most new members, uh, as well as Diane Watts' campaigns. They're the two sort of outsiders in this race. They've signed up a lot of new um, members, but it, it ultimately doesn't really matter that much, considering your strategy really needs to be you need to get to every single riding, both new and existing members. 
And and do you find, too, is it a case where, much like a general election, are there undecided members or do people who join the party or who are already part of the Liberal Party already know which leader they're backing? It's a great question, Jill, because I was at the debate on Tuesday and, and my job uh, was to go and try to find some of those undecideds, and I was worried that it would be impossible, right? Especially those who come to a debate. Those are the ones that are bust there normally by their campaigns or have allegiances, and that's why they're there. But I found a few who really were undecided. But the key part around undecideds, Jill, is the second ballot support. So again, how this system works is that you rank your choices. You can put just one, or you can rank them all the way from one to six. And so maybe you know who you like first because, you know, that's who signed you up, or, or that's who you know, or that's who you've, you know, fallen for as a, a leadership candidate during the race. But you really don't know who you like second and third. So that's why it's important, you know, the, the leadership, the debate performances, also, um, you know, the platforms are important because, uh, as candidates start dropping off uh, the ballot as you get later in the night, uh, because one candidate needs to eventually get 50% of the vote, and so what happens is they have subsequent ballots as the uh, choices get dropped off. Uh, it's really important who's second and third. So I think there are some undecideds out there on the first ballot, and I think there are lots and lots of undecideds out there on the second and third ballot. And do you think the debate changed anybody's mind, or did a front runner come forward in that? <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's about how many people watch the debate. Uh, you know, the, the early numbers that, that Global had are, are actually pretty good, I think, in terms of the number of people that actually tuned into the debate. So I do think people were watching, members and otherwise. Michael Lee was very good in the debate and sort of establishing himself as a credible candidate. He's one that was first elected in 2017 in Vancouver Langara and a name that not a lot of people, even liberals, knew very well. So I think he took a significant step forward in terms of somebody who uh, liberals could see as a potential premier. I think the scrappiness of Andrew Wilkinson may have turned some people off. I know his campaign was really targeting trying to show an Andrew Wilkinson who could be a fighter, someone who could stand up against Premier John Horgan. But I think in the debate it may have come off a little bit harsh that he was picking on Diane Watts or going after Todd Stone, who's a friend of his, who they sat around the cabinet table in Christy Clark's cabinet a long time. I think Diane Watts looked weak again in the debate. I think she really struggled uh, answering some questions. So I think people have questions about whether she'd be able to stand up against the barrage from either the press gallery in Victoria or even if uh, John Horgan, the premier, fired back at her. Um, so it, it was an interesting, I think, to see where people stand, where their strengths are, and how they're improving over the race. But I think Michael Lee benefited likely the most. Again, though, it's all about this week, uh, the, the campaigns calling members, reaching out to members, and getting to those ridings that have less members where it, it, the point system still the same. So it's, it's really worth targeting those ridings that have uh, you know, only a few hundred uh, members. And the divide, too, is the divide still there when you talk about, you mentioned uh, Todd Stone and, and Andrew Wilkinson, you know, being buddies. Is that the divide between old school or what are considered uh, uh, tried and true liberals and yeah. the newcomers? I think so. And, and I sort of saw it in my head that, you know, Todd Stone, Andrew Wilkinson and Mike DeYoung were sort of a package. And whichever of those three came out on top, 
would have a chance of winning over the other side, which is Michael Lee and Diane Watt. Sam Sullivan is in this race as well, the former Vancouver mayor and MLA, but the expectation is he'll finish sixth and drop off the first ballot. After that, though, it's hard to predict what will happen. So I think Wilkinson was really trying to differentiate himself from Stone because I think he may see it the same way, that those tried-and-true liberals, as you described them, would, on their second and third ballot, more likely choose another tried-and-true liberal like Stone. So if you pick Wilkinson first, you may choose Stone or DeYoung second. Although Wilkinson has asked his supporters to pick Mike DeYoung second, and Mike DeYoung has asked his supporters to put Andrew Wilkinson second. The rest, though, none of the other candidates want to tell people where to put their second and third and fourth ballot support. So it's going to be interesting, but I think you're right. There is a real divide here about you know, new liberals and old liberals, and, and old means those that are around, some for the Gordon Campbell years in cabinet, uh, the others for the Christy Clark years. So it's going to be interesting to see which part of the Liberal Party um, emerges and how they sort of can mend as a party going forward, because this debate it was pretty vicious on Tuesday. I, I was... I was stunned with how much they, they attacked each other, but I guess that's what you have to do when you're trying to send a message to people watching that you're that you're different than your opponents. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at CKNW.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.